0: Hello and welcome to the Creativity Snippets podcast with Barbara Wilson and myself, Tracy Stanley. We're um, creativity experts and co-authors of the book Creativity Cycling Help Your Team Solve Complex Problems with Creative Tools. Barbara lives near Nice in the south of France and I live here in Brisbane, Australia. Now Barbara and I started recording our conversations at the beginning of this year to provide information and we hope inspiration for you in applying creativity to all aspects of your life. Now, today we're having a conversation based upon a blog that Barbara's recently written about why change is difficult and what we can do about it. <laughs> Barbara.
1: Thanks, Tracy, for this introduction. Um, Before we get into this, though, I wanted to link back to the last podcast. That was podcast number 10 that we recorded last month when we spoke about change. In a way, this is um, part two of, of a podcast on change. And in that podcast, Tracy, you shared some examples of change from your recently published book, Change Stories, Perhaps you could start by summarising the main points from that recent podcast, and then I can come in and and build on that.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks, Barbara. So um, for those who haven't listened to our previous podcast, number 10, um, I released a book um, about two months ago now called Change Stories, Success and Failure in Changing Organisations. And basically the content in the book was drawn from conversations with 24 leaders, business leaders, change experts, um, project managers who'd all been involved in large and complex change programs inside organisations. And every single person I spoke to, and while they had successful stories, they had stories of change that had gone astray. And we spent time talking about why it was difficult and what were the things that was stopping the organisation and stopping the project managers from, from introducing these new changes. And they were changes across a broad range of areas. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of learning and, um, and there's it's a lot of value in just listening to the stories and the way the pain of the change um, is framed. And we'll be talking a bit about framing later on. But um, in response to Barbara's question about what were sort of some of the key takeaways, and I guess there's, there's three or four I'd like to highlight. Uh, the first is that any change program needs to address people's daily habits and their behaviors. It's also important to make a commitment to a long-term investment in in skills development and training. Um, Rarely is a new skills acquired from a one-off training program. Um, Also, you need to have a very targeted communication um, plan that uses the most credible communication channels inside the organisation. It's proposed that people need to hear about some new initiative or change at least seven times. And their concerns are initially all about how does this affect me and my job and my daily habits before they get more interested in knowing, well, what's the broader picture here and why is the organisation committed to making this change? Another key learning point for me was the importance of just of conversations, small conversations that are threaded throughout the daily rhythm of the business. And often these are meetings or stand-up meetings in in, in the morning or regular team meetings. Um, just build the conversation around change and why why the change is needed, rather than it being some sort of exceptional town hall event, which is often an important and useful part of a communication plan, but should not be overemphasised in terms of the value it provides to any change initiative. And, of course, when you're having conversations with people, they are most intrinsically interested in their own circumstances and interests, and this you need to be aware of this when you're communicating Uh, and when you're helping them to develop the new skills and behaviours to be successful based upon whatever that change is. So um, that's a few of the um, the key takeaways for me about what you need to consider when you're developing a change plan with recognition for how difficult changing behaviour is. Barbara, can I pass the floor back to you to talk a little bit more about why change is difficult?
1: Yes thanks tracy i 'm um, going to pick up on on the first of your, your points you made there and just take a, a look at this whole question of um, habits or behaviors rather because that to me is, is crucial um, in terms of change. If you look in organizations it 's awfully the, often those daily behaviors that have become habits. Um, that create the, almost the, the resistance to change. People get used to doing things. And, you know, you've heard, we've heard the phrase a lot, well, um, this is the way we do it in this organization, or it's we, we do it this way in this organization. It becomes part of the socialization process when a new employee um, starts. So in a way, when we're looking at why change is difficult, we need to start from from how do we, unravel this whole um, process really of of why of how uh, daily behaviors build up into habits and how they become blocks to to any change one of the 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 things i just want to step back a a little bit there before i go on any further with that is that we, we often talk we we talk a lot here as well in our podcasts about vision and I think change programs, the best change programs usually do start with um, some kind of vision of what the organization or what the department or what the, that particular area will look like when the change has happened. Um, that's great. And I think vision is really good. It's a vision to have a vision is empowering. It, it's something to, to really motivate people. However, what. What organisations often fail to do is to break down that vision in terms of what does this actually mean? And I think that you can look at it on on several levels. The first you could look at is what are the values that underpin our vision? And then in order to live those values, what behaviours do we need? And now how can we embed those behaviours so they can become habits? And I think there's a process there that needs to be followed in a way I've stepped ahead of myself in terms of why change is difficult because that's almost in the this is perhaps what we need to do category Um, but I think it's worth just reflecting on that Um, and if I can just give a quick example there diversity for instance i mean it's it's everybody's talking about black lives matter now and diversity has risen up the the agenda in many organizations and yes it's great to have a value uh, of diversity you know we really value equal opportunities or we value diversity black lives matter in our organization what we often don't do is live those values through the behavior and you know, I saw a classic example in an organisation just just recently, where they were saying just that. Um, this was and this was a focus more on the male female um, side of, of the organisation in terms of uh, equal opportunity. Um, and yet, when you looked at their actual numbers, they were so complacent that they hadn't noticed that. For men, there wasn't a funnel to the top. It was a straight up and down route, if that makes any sense. (laughs) For women, it was a funnel. So there were far more women at the bottom of the hierarchy. Then there was less less and less as you went up. With men, almost the same proportion who started ended up at the top. Um, And that was just incredible when you looked at the statistics. So um just to, uh just to sort of put that to one side um get back to my uh to to the original um, question was why change is difficult so i've got three points i want to make here um the first is that i think everybody has a kind of fear of change in them um it might be at a very small level but we, we all get used to, we get into our comfort zones, we get used to the way th- we do things. So we have that fear and we're always a little bit sceptical when some change is, is, uh, is being suggested. So we, we often then, that's why we're here in organisations, this, this response, we've done this before and it hasn't worked. It's, it's a real resistance to that change that comes from almost this internal fear. Then I, want, I would make the point that um, people often don't understand the need for change. So especially if they haven't been involved in any kind of way. If you're going to, involve, if you're going to say to people, you know, this is what we, we need to be doing in the future, then they really need to understand uh, what that means and why. You know, if we don't understand what the change is about, if we don't understand why we're changing, then we're not going to buy into it. And the third point there is that as well as needing to understand it, we really need to see what the benefits are. And sadly, we have become a society which is more individualistic. And therefore, we we all tend to be looking at, well, what's in it for me? Um, even if we look at it what's in it for for my team or what's in it for my department there's still a need to feel that there's some benefit to this change so looking at those all together we can see that when any change initiative is being proposed there will be some resistance that will be normal Tracy do you have any insights
0: into those areas yeah, th- thanks, Barbara. I guess I want to build on your your comment you were t- made talking about when people say, "Oh, we've done that before." And a point I want to make is about assumptions. <laughs> and so clearly, we we have some previous experience of something that may or may not be similar, but we assume it's exactly the same. And in my experience, it's very rare that we have all the information. Um, whether it's making a decision or if there's some sort of complex problem, we have one or two perspectives, maybe you don't have all the perspectives. So we need to check ourselves and remind ourselves that we're assuming we have all the information and we probably don't. And because of that, and depending on whatever the change is, we need to make sure we gather the information. And particularly if it's a, it's a broad change from as many, many sources as possible so that you really understand what is it's changing and why it's changing. And just to check ourselves in terms of saying this is, the, I'm feeling about this or I'm thinking about this for these reasons based on this information. Um, so it might give others the opportunity to help fill in the gaps for information that you're missing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So be aware be, of our experiences. Our experience and our knowledge helps us, but as as you've said, Barbara, it can sometimes um, hold us back as well. Um, Barbara, what about um, what are your thoughts on you know? what can be done to overcome this resistance to change
1: yes thanks thanks Tracy so the way I see it is that leaders need to engage people in the change process and this needs to be done from an as earlier stage as possible now you you mentioned their assumptions and um, gathering information from multiple sources and this kind of ties in very well to, to my next suggestion, which would be to use a process like the creative problem-solving process to involve people uh, right from the start. So the creative problem-solving process, which I think we, we've talked about and we wrote about in our, our book, uh, Creative Cycling, is a process that starts from the basis of, of we don't really understand what the problem is so the process starts from a thorough understanding of that problem now if you can get people involved in that process very early on so if we can say well we have a problem here and we do need to change the organization but we're not quite sure what it is we need to do or we're not quite sure what it is we need to change to then a creative problem-solving process with full involvement from employees would be a great way to get that, that kick-started um, because they would be, there would be a thorough analysis of, well, what's the current situation? Um, what's going wrong? What, what do we need to change? And then creating a vision for the change to happen. So engaging people in that, uh, in that process is really, it really requires a participative leadership model. So it's not about leaders leading from the top and imposing their view of change. It's really about involving people in the process, um, which is a sort of bottom-up approach. In a way, I think it's a little bit top-down because it does need to be led and facilitated and and bottom-up. A great example of engaging people in change was was one I came across um, in the 1990s in fact and we mentioned in our in our book the creativity uh, creativity cycling and that was a change process facilitated by Marjorie Parker it was in a Norwegian aluminium plant which I think we wouldn't normally associate with maybe innovative participative leadership perhaps but the um, she detailed this in her book creating shared vision and in it the leader her together working with the leader created a metaphor for the change Um, the metaphor for the organization that they could see uh, was needed that that is creating the vision for the new organization um, was a a sort of flourishing garden and they'd also seen um, the current situation as a metaphor as a garden metaphor and one that was dying so using that sort of metaphor and that vision they disseminated that throughout the organization and engaged people at every level to interpret and come up with their plans for how their part of the organization could actually implement the change needed to get to that vision so it was a full involvement a full engagement of of the whole organization Um, and by all accounts it was successful which which is even more important I, I also followed that example and did something very similar when I was working in in the uh, in the late eighties, early nineties in the UK, and really got involved with engaging people at the same in the same kind of way. We started even by engaging them in developing the vision. Um, so I, I got people together in small groups and asked them to to come up with a metaphor for what the organization could look like if everything was working as they 'd want it to be um, and That vision kind of got amalgamated across the whole department and then we looked at what what is it like now, what are the gaps, and what what are the behaviors? That we need to change what are the actions we need to do to move from where we are now to that vision Um, that was a great process I really enjoyed working with that what I would say though is change is a long process and organizations need to really devote that time to it I think too often um, organizations work on the basis of 12-month cycles if that Mm -hmm. Um, and 12 months is not long enough for uh, particularly if we're looking at something like culture change um, then we need to recognize that if you're going to energize people if you're going to um, engage people in that whole process then it will take time um one thing i haven't mentioned there and you you brought it up earlier tracy was this concept of framing and I, i think that Framing of the change process is so important, how it's framed um, and this is not just a communication issue. Framing nowadays seems to be seems to become a political communication issue. For me, it's more about um, what what frame do we you know how do we present this change? So that we're presenting it so that people can understand it and people can um, live it and I think that that's where framing is important using metaphors as Marjorie Parker did was a great way of framing that so I think to to summarize what what I've been saying here um, the change is difficult habits are enduring and there will be resistance to change so i think anybody you know embarking on a process of change needs to be realistic about that. However, resistance can be overcome if you engage people in the process. Especially if you engage them right from the beginning so that they understand the need for change and in the steps to change. A compelling vision of the new Um, post-change situation really engages people um, particularly if they've been involved in that that creation of the vision um, and the reframing of of that vision as something that you know they can see the need for and they can also see the benefits of and leaders need to be willing to do that to engage people in the process really does need participative and collaborative leadership um, at that stage. So, and I think finally change takes time and takes energy and it requires resilience all round. Hmm. Tracy, what would you add here?
0: Well, if I, let me recap and, and just and add to some points that you, you've mentioned there, Barbara. I mean, I'd mentioned earlier about the importance of collecting information and particularly Uh, for complex problems, collecting information from a broad range of sources so that the problem or situation can be more deeply understood and, at the same time, recognising your assumption that you may not have all the information. But information collection is just one part of the process and what I love about the way you've talked about the creative problem-solving process, Barbara, is the fact that the way we present the information and what we do with it, you know, using visual tools, helps us to think differently and helping us to think differently. That helps us on the change process. So um, collect the information, present it and play with it um, through the creative techniques and through the creative problem-solving process as a stimulus to um, helping people break out of their habits and their behaviours and to think about things differently. Um, Those are probably the main things I wanted to, to say there, Barbara. Um, it's, it's, it's been really important to talk about this but talk because talking about why change is difficult is a perennial problem, not only for organisations, which was the focus of my book, but for societies. And Barbara and I often talk about governance and politics and what's happening and how you change things. And it's a really complex, nutty, sometimes awful situation. And we've got to think about what are the best ways, what are the best levers available for driving change when it's complex and geopolitical and. God, don't get me started. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I think I, might, I think I need to stop there, Barbara. I...
1: <laughs> yeah. But great points, Tracy. I think, I think we, we talk a lot about organisations, but it's society. And even at the individual level, you know, I mean, we've as a society have been going through a tremendous change this year, not a change oh, yeah. we had any yeah. of us wanted or envisioned. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, you know, society needs to change and is changing and we need to come to terms with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks for those um, concluding comments and thanks to our listeners for listening in. Um, as, um, as always, you can find Barbara um, on her webpage, barbara-wilson.com, and you can find me on my webpage at TJstanley.com. And, of course, if you want to know know more about how we apply creative techniques to a range of problems, difficult problems, you can um, pick up our book on Amazon, Google Play and Book Depository and it's called Creativity Cycling, Help Your Team Solve Complex Problems with Creative Tools. Again, wishing you all a very creative day.
1: (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.